Welcome to episode 243 of The Word Encounter, where today we will start our journey into the book of Ephesus. Now in Ephesus, we find that Paul has, uh, he's already spent about three years or so in Ephesus, and so the people in Ephesus uh, were very familiar with Paul, and very uh, Paul was very familiar with the church of Ephesus. And so he's writing them essentially to encourage them and just to essentially educate them on uh, God's original plan for life, how God originally planned life to be before the fall, and uh, and, and giving them um, uh, scriptural references and, and teaching from a kingly perspective with regard to what it means to live in Christ as one people. And so we find that Paul, interestingly enough, he actually writes this from prison when he was in prison, either in Caesarea or in Rome. It's, assume, it's assumed that he was probably in Rome in prison, uh, and he's writing this letter to the church of Ephesus to give them encouragement, exhortation, and knowledge. And so um, I just think it's interesting that, that you know, here's a man in prison, <laughs> and he's writing to encourage uh, people in the faith. And so uh, just as he's writing to encourage them, uh, the, his, uh, his writings stand to encourage us, uh, even, even though obviously we aren't in the times, in those times 2,000 years ago. Now, it's assumed that it was written somewhere around AD 57 to AD 62, somewhere in there when he was in prison in Caesarea uh, and in Rome. And so somewhere in that time frame, he's writing this letter. And he's not, unlike, uh, unlike we find in Galatia and to the Corinthians, uh, where he's uh, writing to correct some things or he's heard some things, he's defending himself or that or whatever. This just seems to be a general letter of... Um, of encouragement, of doctrine, and whatnot, just to keep the strong, uh, keep the church strong, and to keep it growing. And so, with that, let's get started into the book of Ephesus, chapter one. Let's drop down to verse three. It says, "God's rich blessings." After Paul gives his greetings, he, he always gives wonderful greetings to the people. Then he writes. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavens, in the heavens, in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless in love before him. We're in verse 5 now, and it says, um, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, whenever I read predestination or anything about predestination, I always wonder, you know, does that mean that it doesn't matter what we do or what we choose because it's already been pre-programmed what we're going to choose? We are, the Lord already knows what we're going to do. And so, you know, we struggle over making, or at least I struggle over making these decisions in life and have, has my life already played out? I just don't know it. And so I think here when it says he predestined us, I'm not sure he's referring to us as in specific individuals, but I think he's saying he predestined he predestined a people who would choose Christ. See, that's what I think that means, but I don't know that for sure. And it says in verse seven, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of Jesus's grace, we have redemption See, through his blood and the forgiveness of our sins or our trespasses. It says in verse nine, he made known to us the mystery of his will. 
God the Father made known to us the mystery, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. And so through Christ, he made the mystery of his will, the mystery of this thing we call life. See, he made it known to us uh, um, as he purposed it in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, in Christ, both things in heaven and things on the earth in him. And so through Christ, he made everything that we need to know known with regard to his plan for life. You know, people, the question, the question that everybody, I think, on the face of the earth who has ever lived and who lives now and who will ever live in the future, they ask themselves is, what is this thing called life? What's the meaning of it? Why am I here? What is my purpose? You know, what, what, what does all of this mean? I think these questions people always ask themselves and the only answers, in my opinion, are found in Christ. Everything else, any other answer that you come up with, for the most part, is temporal, is temporary. If people say, well, I'm just going to live life, I'm just going to, you know, enjoy life, do whatever I want to do, take whatever I want to take, I'm I'm just going to, you know, do whatever I feel is right. Well, after you're dead, when you're dead, you're dead, so none of that even matters. When you're dead, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter what you did, good or bad, because you're dead. If you don't believe that there is something after death. If you believe that there's something after death, then what you do now matters. Verse 11, in him, we have also received an inheritance so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. So we that have put our hope in Christ might bring uh, praise to his glory. Why is there a might? Because if we put our hope in Christ, but we don't live for Christ, we don't live according to Christ, then we can actually bring reproach on his name. And we have done that because we've been hypocrites. See, So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. If we live righteously, if we live rightly, if we live with honor, if we live with uh, respecting others, if we live a life that's other-oriented, if we live a life concerned about the well-being of other people, then we will be bring praise to his glory. If we do the opposite, live selfishly, don't keep our word, lie still, cheat, abandon, we bring reproach on his name. It says in verse 13, he says, In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. Hallelujah. The blessed and promised Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. When Jesus left, before he left, he says, it's better for you that I go than then I stay, because when I go, I will send another one who will comfort you. And he will be essentially even better than me because he will be in you. And so Paul is saying here that the blessed Holy Spirit, you know, that inner voice, that inner compass (laughs) that guides you if you let it is the down payment of our inheritance. It says, until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Until the coming of Jesus, until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is our down payment. 
prayer for spiritual insight. Verse 17, it says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That is a tremendous prayer for anybody. I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ and our glorious father would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. If we have the appropriate wisdom and revelation of Jesus, if we have the appropriate wisdom and revelation of the father God, then that will change our lives. That will change our priorities. That will reorder our priorities. That will straighten out our thinking if we have the proper wisdom and revelation and not be reliant on man's wisdom, man's revelation, man's sense of right and wrong. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, so that we have a, a realistic and a proper and an accurate understanding of what our inheritance in Jesus actually is. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. This whole phrase here, these whole, these whole verses right here are pointing to us not really knowing, not really understanding, not really understanding who Jesus is and what we have in his inheritance. See, it points to our ignorance. We don't really understand. Power in God's Christ, or excuse me, God's power in Christ, power in God's Christ, God's power in Christ. Verse 20, he exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seeing him at his right hand in the heavens. This is critical. Oh, this is good right here. Verse 21. Seeing him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seeing him at the right hand in the heavens, far above where Jesus is seated, is seated far above every ruler of this earth. Okay. Both human and demonic far above every ruler and authority. It doesn't matter what kind of power they have or authority they have. Jesus is far above that. It says power and dominion. No matter what power or, 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 or control anybody has in this earth, Jesus has far more. And every given title, president, potentate, king, whatever, doesn't matter. Jesus is far above that. Not only in this age, so he's talking about in the present time, in their present time, 2,000 years ago, but also in the ones to come, also into the future. That means now. Jesus is far above everything in title, in authority, in power, in dominion. It doesn't matter. And he subjected everything under his feet. Everything means everything. Everything is subject to Jesus and appointed him as head over everything for the church. So everything in the church, everything that governs the church, Jesus is over everything. Let's go into chapter two. It says from death to life. <clears throat> and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power 
of the power of the air. This is referring to Satan. Satan is called the ruler of the power of the air. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in other words, you were slave to your sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world. So you were being directed according to the world's priorities <clears throat> and the world's priorities are under the power of the ruler of the air or Satan. The spirit now working um, in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. So, so Paul is trying to relate to them. He says, yeah, we too were the same way. It says carrying about uh, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. And so he was saying we were by nature children under. He was ta- he's talking about being under the law. So you were either under the law, you know, uh, of Moses, which would lead to death because nobody could uh, adhere to it or the law of the uh, under the power of the air or Satan. Either way, it was leading to death. It didn't matter. He said in verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace. See, so that in the coming ages, and so we are under the coming ages, he is displaying the immeasurable riches of his grace through the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so through Jesus, he is displaying immeasurable grace to us because he is giving us the opportunity to choose his son as our master, as our Lord, and thereby making ourselves eligible for eternal life. And so he is extending that grace and mercy. And it still exists today. We still have the opportunity to choose it. It says in verse eight, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not uh, from yourselves. It is God's gift. And so this is a gift from the Lord. He gives us the opportunity to choose. He gives us the power of choice. I lay before you life and death. He says, choose life. You choose Jesus, you choose life, but it's up to you. He's he's not a he's not a demanding God in that he's forcing you to do something against your will. This is entirely within the power of your will. You have the freedom of choice. And he says, choose life for it is his desire that all men be saved. And says this is a gift from God, something you can't earn. It's a gift. It says in verse nine, he goes on to say not from works. He says this is a it's God's gift, not from works. So that no one can boast. See, see, if it was something that you could work your way into, then you could boast about it. You could brag about it. But no, this is a gift from God. You don't you shouldn't be bragging about gifts. Somebody gives you something. It's a gift. You didn't do anything to get it. It says in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, it says here, for we are his workmanship uh, created in Christ uh, Jesus for good works. Now, I just talked about how you get in, uh, how you become saved is not by works. It's it's a gift. Here, Paul is talking about good works. So what's the deal? And so works are not necessary for your salvation status. See, your salvation status is a gift. All you have to do is choose Jesus. If you confess with your heart, uh, uh, confess confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, 
then you will be saved and not be put to shame. That's the gift. But when you receive this gift, if you uh, sincerely and honestly receive it, it changes practically everything about you. <laughs> and you start working out your salvation. Now, what does that mean? You're already saved, but works do have an impact on how you, how and where you reign in his kingdom. See, works count for something, not for your salvation. Works count for post-salvation. After you're in the kingdom of God, you've already entered eternal life. Now, what's my position, if you will? What's my, what's my job? What's my, what do I do in God's kingdom? Works play a part in your assignment in the kingdom, not whether you get in the kingdom. Getting in the kingdom is a gift. But what you end up doing in your assignment, that's based on works. Unity in Christ, verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. At that time you were without Christ, without hope and without God in the world. And so he's saying, you know, uh, Jesus came and through the promise of Abraham that was only available through uh, Abraham's lineage. And so the Gentiles had no part, had no, had no part, had no opportunity for God. It says, at that time you were without Christ, however Christ came. It says, but now in Christ, uh, now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were not Jews, you who were, who were not Israelites. Now through Jesus's blood, you have been brought near. You've been brought from far away. Now you've been brought close by the blood of Jesus. Uh, for he is our peace who made both groups one, who made Jews and Gentiles one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, this to me is something that should reign supreme in all churches all over the world. Our biggest problems, and not only in the church, but in the world throughout history, has been differences between identifiable people groups, whether we're talking about uh, ethnic, race, religious, gender, whatever. Our biggest issue our biggest issue is division between people groups. That causes all kind of strife, all kind of problems, causes wars, it causes massacres, that just causes death and destruction, differences between people groups. But through Christ, which is the intention of God's uh, uh, plan for humanity, it says, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. It says, in his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed regulations. And so <clears throat> he abolished through him, through his flesh, he abolished the law so that he might create himself one new man from two, resulting in peace. See, that's the whole purpose. He, he created one new man from two. He will bring together in unity. Uh, abolish the walls of division so that the resulting entity would be peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. So through Jesus's death on the cross, he brings together two separate bodies into one to create one new man. Okay. With, with, with unity of purpose Killing the dividing wall, 
reconciling both to God. For through him, we both have access to one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. So you are no longer a foreigner or a stranger to God but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. But now we were foreigners. We were different nationalities, different ethnicities, different sexes, different. But now we're all one under God in God's house. <clears throat> Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, you are also being built uh, together for God's dwelling in the spirit. See, the intention was one was for, you know, separate men and women to come together under one house in Christ Jesus so that we could all be built together in the spirit. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. Chapter three in verse five, it says this was not made known to people in uh, other generations as it, is, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So the people in the Old Testament times and days, they knew nothing of this. They knew nothing of just Jesus. They knew nothing of this plan of God's to bring everybody together. Totally and completely ignorant. They had no idea. It says the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body and partners in the promise of uh, Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so there was a religious uh, arrogance amongst the Jews. They didn't know that God's plan was for the Jews and the Gentiles to be one family under God. See, that was revealed through, through Jesus. They didn't know that then. It says in verse seven, I was made a servant of this gospel, is Paul talking, by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Then it says prayer for spiritual power. It says in verse 16, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know uh, Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so, you know, Paul is praying that they that they somehow get a hold of somehow get a grasp of the length, the width, the height and the depth of God's what? Not his wisdom, not his knowledge, but his love. That you would be able, we would be able to comprehend how wide, how big, how high, how deep God's love is. And to know the surpassing love of Christ Jesus. Why? So that we may be filled with the fullness of God. So that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Not that we would have a portion, but that we would be filled from head to toe with the fullness of God. We would be walking around like oozing God beings, just God oozing out of all of our pores. Love towards our fellow man oozing uh, out of our pores. We wouldn't be able to help ourselves. Verse 20, it says, now to him who is able to do... <laughs> I've got this word uh, able highlighted. God is able now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Think about that for him who is able to do a far above 
everything that we could ask or even think about. He's able to do, he's able to surpass our imaginations, our wildest imaginations. He's able to surpass that. According to the power that works in us, which is kind of according to the measure of our belief. See, it's almost saying like God cannot go beyond the measure of our belief. If we have a little bit of measure of our belief, then he can go that far. If we have bigger measures of belief, then he can go to meet that. See, God is limited by the amount of our belief. We put him in a box by how we believe. If we believe he can only do little things, then little things is all he will do. If we, if we believe he can do huge things, then he will do huge things. Because it says that he's able to do everything in our, uh, in our imagination and those things that even exceed our imagination. So the only thing that limits him is the extent of our belief. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so uh, with that, we will stop for today. We'll pick it up in Ephesians chapter four tomorrow. And we will finish Ephesians tomorrow and then we will go on to Philippians. Um, <clears throat> You know, as, as, as we go through Paul's writings, uh, I hope that you can start to get a feel for where Paul is coming from. You know, initially he's defending himself and he's, 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 he's always educating, always trying to impart knowledge and wisdom as he's going through the different uh, things in his life. Paul is human, right? And so he's in prison. He's, he's experiencing probably emotional trauma, physical trauma or whatever. But still out of his overflow, he's writing. He's writing. He's communicating. See, he's a slave to his mission, to his purpose. And that is what he is doing. And so everybody stay safe. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And remember the proposition he gives out to everybody. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will not be put to shame and that you shall be saved. <clears throat> Share that with others. You know, share these series of word encounters with others if they have questions or, or whatever. Uh, maybe I'll answer them. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But hopefully something will be imparted into them where they will um, pick up the baton themselves and start to run the race and start to seek God and seek the answers for themselves. Because the word says, you know, <clears throat> if you seek, you will find. If you got answers and questions and you're sincerely uh, seeking them from God, he will respond and he will answer you. Stay safe, everybody. Should God grant us another day of wonderful life and grace us with his presence. We'll see you tomorrow in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.